0: Well, good morning. If we haven't met, my name is James. I'm one of the pastors on staff here at the Chapel Sydney. Uh, If you're joining us online, uh, I know many of us are uh, online at the moment because we're not feeling too good, but if you're joining us online, uh, thank you for inviting us into your home to worship God. Well, there's a story about two brothers in the Old Testament, okay, Hophni and Phinehas, and they were both priests, okay, which just means that they were uh, the middle person between God and people, but not like the Catholic priests that we know of today, right? And their dad Eli was a high priest, okay, which meant that uh, he was representing the people before God. He was a mediator, the middle person, but at a higher level. Now, this role, <clears throat> this role is special and reserved for only a specific group of people. And the role of a high priest is so special that, uh, that even the president or the prime minister listens and obeys to what is said by the high priest. Now, Hophni and Phineas are both in line to be the next high priest, okay? To be the mediator between God and his people, people like you and me, yeah? But to be in this role, all right, it means that you have some special privileges, okay? Like you don't pay any GST or any land tax, um, even better, the government views you so high that they actually give you the GST that everyone pays the government. But both Hophni and Phineas, right, these guys take advantage of this. They take advantage of the priestly role. Think about corrupt politicians, corrupt uh, pastors, corrupt bosses. Right? Uh, Hophni and Phineas, they both start skimming the offering from church. And they start sleeping around with other women that aren't their wives. They start using God's house for their own benefit, their own gain, their own lust. And eventually they die at the hands of God's enemies. Now think about if a pastor did that today. Think about if the only way you could get to God was through this pastor. You would feel pretty hopeless. Just like how Hophni and Phineas show us the need for a righteous and perfect mediator. Today, what we're going to see in chapter 7 of Hebrews is that Jesus is our righteous and perfect mediator. He was actually foreshadowed way back in Genesis by a person named Melchizedek. Okay, Melchizedek. Our passage for today is Hebrews 7, 1 to 3. If you've got your Bibles... I'll open them up to there, and uh, let's read it. Verse one: This Melchizedek was king of Salem and priest of God Most High. He met Abraham returning from the defeat of the kings and blessed him. And Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. First, the name Melchizedek means king of righteousness. Then, also king of Salem means king of peace. Without father or mother, without genealogy, without beginning of days or end of life, resembling the Son of God, he remains a priest forever. Amen. Well, we're right in the middle of our book of Hebrews, right? We're getting to the heart of the book. And you have to remember that the whole purpose of the book of Hebrews is to remind us, right? Remind the Hebrew people that that Jesus is far superior. Jesus is better than anything we could love, worship, or adore. Jesus is superior than angels, than Moses, right? Everything that we could love. This is the whole premise of the book of Hebrews. Now, last week we saw the author was pleading and urging his uh, listeners to move beyond the spiritual milk, right? The elementary teachings of God's word and move to solid spiritual food. Well, this is what the author is starting to do. He's starting to feed his readers the solid food that is required to mature spiritually. And this is not going to be straightforward today. This is just a caveat for today. It's not going to be straightforward. For some of us, we're really going to struggle to digest chapter 7 because we're just not used to eating solid food. For others of us, it's going to taste like a a 16-hour slow-cooked beef brisket with a glass bottle of Sprite. (laughs) <laughs> so wherever you land, just know this, that God can break this sermon down into a million pieces. And he can give you exactly what your heart needs in this moment. Okay, So don't get lazy, don't get sluggish, but lean into what God is saying in this. The argument that the author is about to make in chapter 7 and 8 right, is that Jesus is superior to all aspects of The Old Covenant, specifically the Levitical priesthood, okay? Now, I've lost some of you guys, I know, but let me explain this. This is the central message. We have a better hope because Jesus is better than the Old Covenant, okay? We have a better hope now because Jesus is better than the Old Covenant. Now, what is the Old Covenant? Well, a covenant is a promise, It's a promise between two parties to do something or not to do something. And it's different to a contract because a contract is a a legally binding agreement. If you breach a contract, then you pay a penalty. Think about about a work contract. If you breach that work contract, you get fired. Think about a contract to buy a home. If a person breaches the contract but, but is willing to pay the penalty then it's not a question of morality, right, or moral failings, okay? Because the contract assumes the possibility of a breach, okay? But a covenant is a promise. The underlying term for a covenant is a promise, okay? When you think about covenant, think about a promise, okay? Promise between two parties, to do something or not to do something. But if you break a covenant, it's considered immoral or a betrayal of trust, okay? Okay? Now, when we take it back to the Bible, you'll find that you can have a personal relationship with God, right? Which means a number of things, like having God as a friend or as, a, as your father, right? Or as your teacher. But there's another way that the Bible talks about us having a relationship with God. <clears throat> and it's the idea of partnership with God. Covenant, okay? Covenant. That's what we see in the beginning in Genesis, God creates a, a good world, and He appoints these unique creatures called humans to uh, uh, these unique creatures called humans as His partners to bring more and more goodness into the world. But the humans don't want to partner with God, and they rebel and they try to create their own world. And so, this broken partnership is the Bible's explanation as to why there's so much brokenness in our world today. But it's not just one person that has abandoned this partnership with God, okay? But in the story of the Bible, everyone has abandoned this partnership with God. And so what God does is he selects a smaller group of people out of everyone, okay, the Israelites. And he makes a new partnership with them called a covenant. And in this covenant, God makes promises. In exchange, he asks his partner to fulfill certain commitments, okay? And the purpose of this covenant relationship is to somehow use this to renew God's partnership with everyone else. Okay, so the Old Covenant, okay, the Old Covenant was an agreement, a partnership that God made with the Israelites. Okay, it's called the Old Covenant because when Jesus died, a new covenant was made, a new promise was made, a better promise. And the Old Covenant is is basically saying that the Israelites, God's people, were required to obey God and keep the law. And in return, God would protect them and bless them. Right? The Old Covenant required daily, uh, repeated animal sacrifices as a reminder of the people's sin. And God established this covenant as a way to atone for sin through, through the shedding of blood. And the purpose of it, right? was to make it absolutely clear that no one is righteous before God. No one can save himself, okay? Now, what is the Levitical priesthood? Okay, very simply, when God's people, the Israelites, right, when they had conquered the Promised Land, the Levites, uh, these were descendants of Levi, right, uh, who was one of Jacob's 12 sons, uh, the other famous son being Joseph, right, the one that got sold into slavery, Okay. Well, the Levites weren't given a portion of land, okay? Every other brother, all the 11 other brothers, they received a portion of land, but, but not Levi. Instead, their job was to work in the temple, either as someone taking care of the tabernacle and everything inside of it, or to be a priest. And so only the, descendant, the descendants from Levi were able to be a priest, and the priest's role and responsibility was to offer the sacrifices required by the law. Okay. But there was only one high priest at a time. And this high priest could deliver a law or a rule to guide a nation, like Hophni and Phinehas' dad. And so when you hear the term priesthood, it's talking about someone who is a mediator between man and God. Okay, when you think about priesthood, that's, that's what you have to think about. Right? Like Hophni and Phineas, their role was to be a mediator between God and man. But the picture the Bible paints for us right, shows that the Levitical priesthood was, was insufficient. Okay? It couldn't attain for us perfection. And that was the problem. You can't approach God by the Levitical priesthood. Why? Because these priests, right, these people that were meant to represent us were just human beings. They change. They're corrupt. They're immortal. They die. Under the old covenant, as we heard from A.B. a couple of weeks ago, only the high priest could enter the most holy place, right, the holy of holies. This is where God's presence dwelt, and they could only enter it once a year. So we've got the Levitical priesthood, right? These people are chosen by God to look after the temple and the earthly dwelling of God's presence, okay? And these people are priests who offer daily sacrifices to temporarily take away the sins of the people. But our passage today, right, it introduces to us another priesthood, one in the order of Melchizedek, who lived long before any of these Levites. Today we're not gonna have time to go in depth into every facet of chapter 7. And I highly recommend that you read all of 7 and chapter 8 in your time. But there are three things from this passage that helps us see why Melchizedek is not just a random character in the Bible that pops up, but he is an important foreshadow to Jesus' priesthood. Okay, the three things are: number one, Melchizedek foreshadows Christ's character. Number two, he foreshadows Christ's qualifications. And number three, he foreshadows Christ's superiority. All right, let's look at uh, point number one. Melchizedek foreshadows Christ's character. Hebrews uh, 6, we have to actually start from the chapter before. In verse 19, it says this, We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain, where our forerunner, Jesus, has entered on our behalf. He has become a high priest forever forever. In the order of Melchizedek. That's very important. In the order of Melchizedek. Hebrews 7, 1-2 says this, This Melchizedek was king of Salem and priest of God most high. He met Abraham returning from the defeat of the kings and blessed him. And Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. First, the name Melchizedek means king of righteousness. Then also, king of Salem means king of peace. In 1976, on June 27th, armed men hijacked uh, an Air, Air France jetline and took 91 people hostage. The plane was hijacked and heading for Central Africa somewhere. And when the plane landed, the hijackers were planning their next move. But 2,500 miles away in Tel Aviv, right? Three Israeli massive uh, transports boarded a force of Israeli commandos. And within hours, they attacked the plane under the cover of darkness. And in less than an hour, the commandos rushed the plane, gunned down the hijackers, and rescued 110 of the 113 hostages. Just like how these Israeli commandos rescued these hostages, we read in Genesis 14, Abraham doing the same thing. The Canaanite kings had attacked and defeated uh, the surrounding nations of Sodom and carried off uh, a large number of hostages, including Abraham's nephew, Lot. Okay? And so Abraham recruits trained men from his own household, cousins, families, sons, and he pursues and defeats these Canaanite kings. And he rescues his nephew, Lot. And it's here when Abraham was coming back from the battle that he meets Melchizedek, Genesis 14, 18 to 20, it says this. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God most high, and he blessed Abram, saying, Blessed be Abram by God most high, creator of heaven and earth. And praise be to God most high, who delivered your enemies into your hand. Then Abram gave him a tenth of everything. So who is this Melchizedek? Well, we know that he was a historical figure, a real person, right? But we also know that he was a type, he was a shadow of Christ, right? He was a figure who points forward to Jesus and and what Jesus is about to do. We have to remember that nothing in the Bible is there by accident. And so when we see historical figures or events and systems set up by God in the Old Testament, it's, all, it's God intentionally pointing us towards the coming Savior. He's letting us know what it's going to be like. So in Genesis, when the author describes Melchizedek's titles, right, he's actually foreshadowing the character of Christ. We read in Hebrews 7, 1-2 that Melchizedek was the king of Salem, this This means that he was actually the king of Jerusalem, right? Because Salem would become Jerusalem later. But he was also the priest of the Most High God. So Melchizedek was both king and priest at the same time. And no other person in the Bible has ever held both titles, king and priest, until Jesus in verse 2, the author tells us that the name Melchizedek means king of righteousness, and Salem is another word for shalom, which means peace. So Melchizedek is both the king of righteousness and the king of peace. Right? And if we read in Isaiah 9.67, we see that, the, that righteousness and peace was prophesied of the coming Messiah. It says the coming Messiah will be called Prince of Peace, and he will rule with righteousness. So Jesus is the king of righteousness and peace. So Melchizedek, his name and title, it points us to Jesus. He foreshadows the character of Jesus, his kingship, his priesthood, his righteousness, his peace. Number two, Melchizedek foreshadows Jesus' qualifications. Verse three. Says that Melchizedek was without father or mother, without genealogy, without beginning of days or end of life, resembling the Son of God. He remains a priest forever. Now, does this mean that Melchizedek was an angel or even a pre incarnate version of Jesus? Well, not really. He was a real human with a real father and a real mother. But the way that he's presented in Scripture, it makes it seem like he pops in and out without a beginning or an end. We're not told anything about his parents or where he came from, right? He had no priestly genealogy through Levi because you have to remember that in order to be a priest, you had to be a descendant of Levi. And who else had no priestly genealogy? Jesus. Jesus' bloodline, it's traced back to the tribe of Judah. But again, who are the only ones that can become a priest? The Levites. What we need to see from this is that Jesus' priesthood, like Melchizedek's priesthood, is based on the call of God, not on genetics. Jesus and Melchizedek were both appointed as priests. And because there is no beginning or end for Jesus, he is eternal. Every priest that has come from the line of of Levi, they had a beginning and they had an end. But Jesus' priesthood, it doesn't have a beginning or end. Which means that Jesus' priesthood is far superior to the Old Testament priesthood, the Levitical priesthood. Number three, the third thing that we see is that Melchizedek foreshadows Jesus' superiority. Well, we read in uh, verses five, four and five that Abraham gave Melchizedek a tenth of the plunder. Okay, verse four it says this just think how great he was. Even the patriarch Abraham gave him a tenth of the plunder. Now the law requires the descendants of Levi who became become priests to collect a tenth from the people, that is from their fellow Israelites, even though they also are descended from Abraham. This man, however, did not trace his descent descent from Levi. Yet he collected a tenth from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises. So, in the ancient world, right in the Old Testament, when you paid tithes, it was a recognition. It was recognition of another person's superiority. It was saying that uh, you are greater than me. Remember that the tithing system that uh, was that the the priests were commanded by the law uh, to take tithes from the people. The Levite priests were given tithes because they didn't own any of uh, their own land. But what's the image that's being drawn for us? It's Abraham giving tithes to Melchizedek. Remember that Abraham is called the father of faith, the friend of God the father of the nation of Israel. For the Jewish people, Abraham is like the greatest of all time. He's the goat. He was the original recipient of God's promises. Think about how blessed he would be if Abraham was right here and he was like, hey, let me pray for you. That would be a pretty special encounter. But when Abraham met Melchizedek, right, he recognized that he was in the presence of someone greater than him. And this is why verse 6 is pretty remarkable. It's not Abraham who blesses Melchizedek, but it's Melchizedek who blesses Abraham. Listen to how the author of Hebrews explains this in verse 7. He says, and without doubt, the, the lesser is blessed by the greater. So if Melchizedek is superior than Abraham, then Jesus is superior than Abraham. So what we've seen so far is that Melchizedek is a pretty important character in the Bible. But remember right, that he's only a shadow of what is to come. He's only a type of the ultimate superior priesthood of Jesus. It's like how actually going to see the Swiss Alps in person is is far better than just seeing a photo of it. Or it's like going to see... Uh, an F1 race in Spain or France or Singapore. The experience of being trackside and hearing the sounds is far better than watching it on TV. Now, although Melchizedek was king of righteousness and king of peace, he couldn't make humans righteous or give them peace. Why? Because he was only a shadow. He was only a glimpse of what was to come. But Jesus, the one true eternal king, he is the only one who gives us righteousness and peace. And why is this important? Because you have to remember that if we don't have Jesus and his priesthood, then we're still under the old covenant. We're still under the Levitical priesthood. And the Levitical priesthood, it wasn't enough to attain perfection because the grounds on which you can enter heaven is Perfection. Hebrews later tells us in chapter 10 that it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. The Old Testament priesthood, it wasn't able to really cleanse people's sins. The animal sacrifices, it covered over sin, but it couldn't remove it. It could ease the conscience of a person, but it could never completely clear the conscience. And so the old covenant, right, the old partnership, it was inadequate. It had limitations and was temporary. But this doesn't mean that that God made a mistake or that the old covenant is sinful or wrong. It's just something that God provided to point us to Jesus. Hence the need for a change in priesthood from the old to the new. And for all of us, this should be amazing news. Why? Because the New Testament is all about Jesus being the guarantee of a better covenant. In this new covenant with God, right, Jesus is our high priest. Remember, the primary job of a high priest is to represent people God, And so when he goes into the Holy of Holies, right, to make a sacrifice, he's going there on behalf of his people, on behalf of you and me. And what does the high priest do when he goes into the Holy of Holies? He makes a sacrifice. He sacrifices a spotless lamb. He takes the blood and sprinkles the blood as a sign of atonement or payment for the sins of the people. Jesus, our high priest, he didn't offer a spotless lamb. He didn't offer animal sacrifices, but he offered his own spotless, perfect, sinless life on that cross for us. He offered himself to pay for your sin and my sin. He became our atonement, our payment for disobeying and rejecting God. And the crushing weight of sin and guilt and shame, it says in 1 Peter 2.24 that, that he himself bore our sins in his body on the, on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. Jesus has brought us from darkness and taken us into the light, breathing in us new life. John eleven twenty five twenty six. 25, 26, Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Jesus has cleared our conscience. Hebrews 9:14 says, How much more will the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Jesus has given us access to God the Father. John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is like no other priest in the Old Testament. Because Jesus rules as a priest and as a king. He not only saves us as a priest, but he also cares for us and protects us as a king. So what are we meant to do? What are we meant to do knowing that Jesus is our ultimate high priest? This is what we're meant to do. We put our hope and our trust in Jesus as our high priest. We put our hope and trust in Jesus as our high priest. Now, has anyone ever heard of the Red Bull uh, flag Tag? I think that's how you say it, Flug Tag. No? Sorry? Yes, something like that. Uh, but it's an, it's an international event that challenges people, right, to design and build their own flying machines, okay? You guys probably would have seen uh, adverts for this. Right, and they fly the, the uh, flying machine, the, the plane, off a six-meter deck into water. Right, And the one who goes the furthest wins 15K. And there's a certain level of hope and trust that you have to put into uh, your own design so that you don't just drop into the ocean and land with like 100Ks of material. But the longest flight that was recorded was 78.6 meters by a Californian group called the Chicken Whisperers. <coughs> Just like how every competitor in this event needs to put their hope and trust in their own design, right? Their own flying machine. We also need to put our hope and trust in Jesus as our high priest. Hebrews 7, 8, 18 says this. The formal regulation is set aside because it was weak and useless. For the law made nothing perfect, and a better hope is introduced by which we draw near to God. How do we put our hope and trust in Jesus as our high priest? We draw near to God. How? We invite God into every aspect of our life. When you wake up, thank you, Jesus. That should be the first words out of your mouth. When you go to sleep, thank you, Jesus. When you're faced with a tough situation at work, when you're on the brink of a divorce, when you're on the brink of a relational breakdown, invite God into that space. God, what do you want me to do in this? God, I just want to invite you into this situation. So lead and guide me. I need you. A simple prayer can soften your heart towards God. So draw near to God by inviting Him into every aspect of your life. And you can trust in Jesus, our high priest. Because unlike all the other, high, all the, all the other Old Testament priests who had to be continually replaced because they kept dying, verse 24 tells us that Jesus holds His priesthood permanently. He never dies. Jesus is able to provide that eternal security in order for us to draw near to God. Friends, Jesus is trustworthy because of his eternal nature. He will never leave or abandon you. You can rest secure in Jesus. This better hope that we see in verse 19, it's not saying that we're more hopeful people, right? Right? Because it's not about our feelings. It's not about how we feel. But it's referring to the character and the quality of the, the thing that you're trusting in. And the truth is that we are trusting in something way better than the Levitical priesthood. One pastor puts it like this. We are trusting in Jesus who brings a better covenant, better promises, better sacrifices, and a better country. That is a heavenly one. The original Melchizedek, he greeted Abraham and gave him bread and wine. But now Jesus, our eternal Melchizedek, he offers us the same. His life, his flesh, and his blood, it has secured our righteousness and peace. And now because of Jesus' perfect, holy, spotless, innocent, unstained life, we can have confidence that our sins are forgiven. And that we can draw near to God. And so with a savior like Jesus acting on our behalf, why would we want to turn to anything else? The book of Hebrews it reminds us that uh, it reminds us to trust in no one else and nothing else other than Jesus. Only Jesus is sufficient to save. Today, what are you going to choose to put your hope and trust in? Yourself or Jesus? Let's close our eyes in prayer.